Everything is bigger in Texas, including climate change. But luckily, Houston is leading the energy transition. Here in H-Town, the fourth largest city in the United States, entrepreneurs from across Texas and around the world gather to work with titans of industry to build a technology that will reduce emissions and power a low-carbon future. We sit down with those changemakers and wildcatters who are solving the toughest energy challenges. With trillions of dollars on the line, we dig into how Houston will bring technology to market on a massive scale. Join us as we talk with leaders from the energy capital of the world as they show us how the energy transition gets done. I am Nada Ahmed. And this is the Energy Technology Podcast. And I'm Jason Etier. Let's jump in. All right. Welcome back to the show. I'm excited to have two fantastic people here today. We have John Happ, CEO of PressureCore, and Mahir Disu, president of PressureCore. PressureCore makes zero carbon base load power out of waste pressure in pipelines. Um, and they are uh, enabling customers to use no CapEx to provide this lower cost power. Um, and provide meaningful, low-carbon, sustainable uh, as a sustainable solution. We're excited to have you here. I heard uh, you were in Canada recently. I was. Yeah, yes. tell us about that. Oh, we had a couple of uh, uh, good turns there. Actually, we were in Chicago um, at the University of Illinois in Urbana before that. Um, you know, getting our first deployment, you know, squared away. They've got a location there and very. Uh, avant-garde in the sustainability space, they have a gas plant, which these, which our offering fits very well in front of. Uh, we're putting in a project there, and I'm sure we'll get to talk, you know, a little bit more about it. Uh, in Canada, we were selected uh, in the Creative Destruction Lab for uh, the Rockies, which was uh, put on by the University of Calgary. Uh, very um, uh, prestigious invitation. Uh, to be invited there to to go through that and it's very well run. Every one of the mentors in that group uh, for startups mm -hmm. is an energy person and you know kind of understands the vernacular and you know the nomenclature that we use and and our offering. Whereas other places that we've been, people don't know how to spell Delta P. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was re very refreshing. And uh, we did make it to the next round. Mm -hmm. I'm happy to report. Um, saw quite a few customers, uh, Alberta, you know, Canada, Calgary is a very, you know, sister community to Houston as far as the oil and gas is concerned and, um, saw quite a few customers. And then at the end of the week, um, we had been, uh, chosen as the top 50 investable startups, mm -hmm. um, in Calgary and the sustainability space through foresight, uh, mm. and had a booth and spoke at that conference as well. Yeah. No, uh, shout out to Creative Destruction Lab. They're they're fantastic. And they're not just energy people. They are the energy people of like Alberta uh, in terms of the mentors. So very high quality. Right? I'll second that. Yeah. It was a, an amazing time. Very well run and a very astute audience, mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you make it up there, Mahir? No, uh, <laughs> I let John and Jay handle that. <laughs> I'm I'm not one for the cold weather so yeah. <laughs> did you did you live in calgary at one point no no, no i i grew up i grew up in the east coast and okay, okay that's right. so so i i ran away as fast as i could okay yeah, yeah. back down here you're actually the second one from uh the northern east coast we had here we had a uh, andrew lane who came from pennsylvania here last week and so we're collecting yeah. all the uh Appalachians. <laughs> but uh, so tell us a little bit more about the solution. So we know it's a it extract power from pressure, but like tell us more about like where this actually goes and where the magic happens. Yeah. So I, I like to use a couple different analogies. So uh, one is it's essentially regenerative braking for mm -hmm. pipelines, mm -hmm. right? So whenever you have your car, you're coming off the highway, putting the brakes on in a EV or a hybrid, that friction loss 
that energy is recycled into the battery. So similarly, um, when you have molecules traveling down a pipeline, when they need to be depressurized, um, they run through our system and we're able to expand it mm -hmm. and depressurize it in the process um, while spinning a turbine to extract that lost energy that would otherwise be lost on the system. Mm. Um, and so it's it's kind of like a hydro, hydro turbine just within a gas pipeline. Yeah. And in layman's terms is where it's where um, a high pressure pipeline comes into a, either a gas plant or a utility company. Um, you know, picture in your mind's eye, you have a pipeline from Midland to Houston. You pressure that pipeline up to move the hydrocarbon at 1200 pounds. Long about Kerrville, you stop compressing. When you get to Houston, you're still at 600 pounds, but you've let natural pressure drop take over. Sadly, you can only get into center point at 300 pounds. So there's 300 pounds of wasted pressure that we use uh, to make zero carbon baseload power. It doesn't depend on when the sun shines or the wind blows. Uh, it's there 24 seven. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and what are you replacing? What are they doing today to do the pressure reduction? So the, they're using um, generic valves. Okay. Um, and there's a few different names for it. Um, but kind of like the category is a Jules-Thompson valve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Jules-Thompson is this thermodynamic effect where in when you expand a gas, you are also reducing the temperature. Mm -hmm. The vice versa is also true. Um, and so our system, we actually not only um, are able to move around that, so we don't replace it by design because we, we want to ensure that the operations team has a lot of fail safes in case anything goes wrong. Um, but because of that Joule Thompson effect, they precondition the gas before it goes through the valve. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people don't realize this. They actually take gas from the pipe, burn it, combust it to heat up the gas before it goes through that valve. Oh, so it ends up on the other side, not frozen. Exactly. Exactly. You don't want hydrate formation, anything mm -hmm. that can be corrosive to the pipeline. And so we use, instead of combustion, we use thermal exchangers mm -hmm. if there's a waste heat source, which generally there is. Or, or heat pumps. Hmm. Hmm. And so by in, in that manner, we're able to avoid that scope one emissions. And then a lot of these valves, they're using these gas pneumatic actuators. So they're basically using this high pressure gas to move the valve up and down. And when they're done moving the valve up and down, they vent that gas into the atmosphere, right? So it's methane emissions. And our system also avoids those hmm. as well because we don't use those gas pneumatic valves and the a core component, the turbo expander, is hermetically sealed, mm. so not a lot of exposure to to the atmosphere. Yeah, and and I think the other technical thing I heard was it's you called it baseload power, and does that mean it's consistent because people are always consuming the same amount of gas, or is it base? It, is it baseload because you're just kind of getting the power you're getting? I guess what? Tell me about uh, how you're describing that. Yeah, so by baseload we mean um, the capacity factor of our system. Is, is dependent on the gas flow coming through mm -hmm. the pipe. And generally the most economic sites are when gas is flowing most consistently. Mm -hmm. And so we see you know, upwards of 80% capacity factor. Most of our systems are between that 85, 95% mm -hmm. capacity factor. Versus like solar, which would be like 30%, 30, 20 or 30%, right. yeah. and, and maybe a peaking power plant would be even less. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. And would you install such a solution in legacy systems or you know, would you have is it mostly for new systems that are coming online? It's mostly for legacy systems. Okay. You know, okay. for example, you know, some of the 
you know, largest companies in the world have given us their data. It's very easy for a host customer to find out what they can expect and how many mm. sites they have. For example, TransCanada gave us just in the lower 48, 3,000 sites to, to look for Delta P or, mm -hmm. or pressure drop. 250 of those sites were very fit for purpose. Mm. Um, so they've got, you know, 70 to 80 megawatts that they can, that they have mm -hmm. uh, as, a, as a waste pressure asset. Mm -hmm. and, and so what's an average um, power rating for site? I'm sure it's site dependent, depending on how much flow. Yeah. What do you think about as like a typical installation? Yeah, so that's a good point. You know, the each site, the energy generation potential is is a factor of the flow, the pressure differential of the inlet, the outlet pipe, the temperature differential of the mm -hmm. inlet, the outlet, and then the composition of the gas. Mm -hmm. And so we we've built software to basically take in all those factors and output a theoretical energy potential number. So, you know, obviously our the physical system can't always generate the theoretical potential, but um, you know, if we have, let's say a megawatt of theoretical potential, we can extract, you know, like 900 kilowatts mm. on average, our systems are between that 600 to 1.2 megawatt range. Mm. It's important to point out that, you know, it, we try, we, we look for accretive ways to help the host customers. So as low as 125 kilowatts, up to three and a half megawatts can be on one skid, mm. you know, we're skid mounted. And so these turbo expanders can be put you know, in series or in parallel uh, and stacked up to to get to that three and a half megawatts. But it is economic all the way down to, you know, 125 kilowatts. But what we look for, to Mahir's point, is the pressure ratio. Yep. So 1.2 to 1 is the average. Hmm. That's lower than I would have expected. It is. It's kind of the minimum, yeah. Okay. You, you know, I, I tell, that's why we ask people like TransCanada, don't go through the Easter egg hunt to find places where Delta P is. Let us do that. Mm -hmm. Because engineers, even even us, when we first started, we're like, oh, we're looking for, you know, grandiose, you know, amount of mm -hmm. pressure drop. These sites are, you know, mm -hmm. are, you know, it is an Easter egg hunt. I'm often surprised on just how low mm -hmm. the Delta P has to be if the flow is high or vice versa. If the flow is high, the Delta P can be low. Hmm. I heard you say another nugget. Depends on the gas, so that means not hmm. necessarily natural gas. Could be CO2. Ice, like CO2 hmm. is my first thought, right? Or yeah. Is that the other main constituency? Yeah. So, um, I mean, there's there's different alloys that's required on like hydrogen pipelines, hmm. um, but yeah, the same conceptual system, you know, with some components changes, could work on carbon hmm. dioxide pipelines, hmm. hydrogen pipelines. And then we have a, a different apparatus that can work on liquids pipelines as well. So okay. crude oil, butanes, ethanes, ammonia, like all, all that stuff too. One of the things we outline to the host customers, you know, if you were ever to take the natural gas pipeline out of service and make it into a CO2 pipeline, our, our offering will still continue to, to work. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Tell me about how you stumbled on this solution. Um, you've been... You formed a pressure core about a year ago, so what was yeah, what was that point, that moment? <clears throat> I think the you know here's the best answer to that they've been looking at it for a little bit longer than a year. Mm -hmm. um, this you know uh, turbo expander technology has been around a long time. It's not it's not a new process, but the hermetically sealed you know magnetic bearing mm -hmm. aspect that's been the step change in turbo expanders that have made this offering mm -hmm. or this deployment novel these 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 units exist in almost every refinery in the world because delta p is so locale specific there mm -hmm. it's the pipeline application that is novel 
Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. as John mentioned, like hmm. the technology has been around and then this waste energy stream has also been around for, for decades, right? Like the technology was invent, invented in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. And then in like the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, there was like a series of turbo expander deployments, but they were bespoke custom units. And yeah. eventually all of them, not only did they stop working because of the high maintenance required, but they actually got decommissioned and, and pulled out because they were um, so bothersome to operations. Yeah, and and I think, you know, going back to your question, and it'll answer a little bit what your question is, you know, Delta P goes like this, even though it is an Mm -hmm. 85 to 95% capacity factor that we look for, but it still moves up and down. And the the deployments that Mahir's talking about, they engineered for the high and the low. Well, Mm -hmm. no moving engine, Mm -hmm. reciprocating engine, works works efficiently at the highs and lows. We take the core out of the watermelon. We're taking the very center out, and that's that cookie-cutter aspect that makes it economic for the host customer so while a site might be able to make 900 kilowatts it may be better to only put 300 kilowatts in there because you're abating carbon at a higher rate Mm. um you're you're getting cheaper power um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so and so that's part of your assessment is is identifying where that capital efficiency is going to be yeah and that's kind of the ip of you know where we've got some patent pendings on how we're showing the the power mm. output to the host customers mm. um mm. it is these algorithms that we've run through our mm. software to show okay this is how many sites you have mm. this is how much power you can expect at these locations and you might even have a little a la carte mm. out there you can mm. make 921 kilowatts and you'll abate carbon at 2800 tons per year mm. or but your but your power price will be 11 cents per mm. if you put mm. 300 kilowatts in you'll only abate 1,700 tons of carbon, but your power price would be seven cents. So there is a little bit of a la carte that we show these customers. Mm. Okay. And you can align up with either their financial goals or their decarbonization goals. That's right. right. I'm really often surprised on how many of them say, I want to abate carbon at a higher rate. So good yeah. on them. Yep. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. And how does that work in terms of, you know, do you need to then, because the energy produced goes back into the grid or, you know, or do you use it for whatever you might need to use it, uh, depending on where the pipeline is? Yeah. So I, ideally, yeah. we're working with customers that can use the electricity generated behind the meter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay. we don't have to interconnect. Mm-hmm. But if we do, you know, the if, if there's not enough load behind the meter, there's kind of a series of options that we can take. So one is interconnecting to the grid. Luckily, these systems are relatively small on a grid basis. And so we qualify for a lot of expedited interconnection mm-hmm. processes so we don't have to wait in line. And the common uh, refrain that you get for, from interconnection is, is kind of for these larger projects. So we generally don't have to worry about that. And then if, if we have trouble interconnecting or you know, we're, we're doing this kind of um, cost benefit analysis with potentially bringing a load to the site, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So like mobile de- data centers, mm-hmm. uh, we're mm-hmm. working on it on an integration with electrolyzers. Mm. And it's pretty cool because um, electrolyzers produce heat, whereas we you know, produce cooling. And so by having a thermal loop between the two, we can kind of use the cooling to cool the electrolyzer and the heat from the electrolyzer to condition the gas before it goes mm. through our system. Mm. And, it's, and it's one thing that I hope that ho- the host customers see as a benefit for us. You know, we see, you know, customers, you know, that have made promises to be carbon neutral by a certain time and you know, that was a couple of years ago. Their boards are asking, what have you done? And 
They haven't mm-hmm. done anything, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. this is something that can be put homogeneously on their system, do better with what they have. And I think a lot of it is these 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 C-suites don't know where their credit getting place is or mm-hmm. how am mm-hmm. I assured that I'm going to get all of the environmental attributes that mm-hmm. I'm after. And plus, I'm not in the power business. Well, that's our day job. Yeah. Right? So mm-hmm. we come in and say, look, <clears throat> in the case of New York, um, they have a, a value stack pricing there. I would much mm-hmm. rather connect into the grid in New York because the pricing is higher, even if there is a host load, right? Mm. But our our preferred way to do it is behind the fence. That's first and easiest. Mm. But in some places, it's better, you know, and that's where we come in and tell you at each location, these are your options. Interesting. Mm. And, and I think clarify, so you're bringing together technology, but really you've identified sites and, and you put a wrapper around kind of the product or do you, I, I should say, do you provide product you provide services what is what's is the business model yeah great great question yeah. so um we, we've worked on this a bit depending on customer requirements and so we have kind of three commercial models we can build on and operate mm-hmm. so for customers that don't want to deploy their own capex they don't care to maintain or, or operate it we'll we'll do the full package and then we'll just either charge you a lease payment or a ppa in fact a lot of customers prefer the lease because mm-hmm. they don't want to put restrictions on um, the flow of gas through a pipe. Mm. And if we have a PPA, typically mm. there needs to be some sort of minimum commitment. Um, so a lot of them prefer the lease. Um, but some customers, they just want to purchase the system and then do the installation and operation themselves. Um, and then the third option, which is typically what we've seen regulated utilities um, be or prefer, which is the turnkey project development. Mm. So we'll you know design and, and build the skid, bring it to site, install and commission it and then we'll just sell it to the customer after it's commissioned <clears throat> so they don't have to take the development risk but they can still deploy their own capex hmm. Hmm. and and how has the uptake been uh, in the industry and and secondly how have you taken advantage of you know the ira and the infrastructure bill and how has that helped you um you know uh, <laughs> I'm a usual suspect mm-hmm. energy professional. I've been, I was a power trader for a long time and um, sold a company uh, called South Cross Otarga last year. And my next purchase was going to be in the sustainability sector, right? But it had to have some some caveats to it. It had to be something that was scalable, mm-hmm. ready now. It couldn't be pixie dust way over the horizon, something mm-hmm. you know that was fictional. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't have to rely on subsidy. Mm-hmm. Now, the subsidies are great. <laughs> uh, having the ITC, which we do qualify for, the 40% uh, ITC can move that cash forward and it allows us to pass that back to the host customer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, a lot of our offering is to make sure that they get all of the environmental attributes that they're looking for. They're, they're sponsoring a, a program, a, a project that qualifies for the ITC. They can put that in their, their 10 Ks annual reports, their board meetings, you know, to show that they're actually doing stuff. And in a lot of cases with those scope one and two emissions, we do qualify for RENs or RECs, depending on what mm. locale you are in the country. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and you abate carbon at a very high rate. You know, um, you know, just anecdotally speaking, one megawatt deployment will, over the life of the contract, abate 65,000 tons of carbon. And that's uh, just scope two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And, and so, yeah. And so, you know, if your internal price of carbon is only $70, that's $5 million that you didn't spend. Yep. Mm. Uh, and, you know, to, to talk about our, 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 our model, our development model is that 
we're putting in the capital, selling back the power and, you know, a capacity lease is our preferred method to do that. And the host customer can expect to buy cheaper than grid power. Mm -hmm. So not only did they not use their own CapEx, they're buying power cheaper than what they were buying it for before from the grid. So they're tripping mm -hmm. over themselves to give you contracts is what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's what we <laughs> do. <That's> what, <laughs> what are the challenges? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The challenges is just, you know, bureaucratic processes, mm -hmm. right? The internal sales cycle of these large organizations, it just takes mm -hmm. a while for us to get the right stakeholder buy-in. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, it's it's really a, a I, I would say, intricate sales process, right? We, we definitely need a champion internally, mm -hmm. um, but there's also a few different groups that we need buy-in, right? There's a kind of low carbon sustainability group that that needs to be pushing it. Um, there's the business unit that's actually hosting mm -hmm. the facility. So whether that's like an operating facility or you know a regulated pipeline business that's that's who we're selling to in tc and then you know there's kind of like the finance uh, group as well who can provide mm -hmm. you know either equity tax tax equity if they have tax liability um and of course like executive leadership too mm -hmm. um, which is why you know it was it was really a coup for us to bring john on board because mm -hmm. of all his relationships that he's built over you know the past few decades working in the industry yeah. Is there like a sense of like technology risk? Because, no. Because a lot of the stuff already exists, right? It is. And so that's kind of, you know, the, what gravitated me toward this this offering. Like I understand the technology mm -hmm. and it's easy for me to go into my, you know, compatriots and say, look, dum-dum, you can't put your head <laughs> in the sand. You know this works. Mm -hmm. I know that, that, you know, midstream companies, and I'll say this jocularly, are getting drug kicking and screaming into the sustainability mm -hmm. side. You know, admittedly, they're not moving as fast as as you know folks would like. Um, and our offering is, you know, elective surgery. That's why we have to get a lot of stakeholders in. But mm -hmm. I'm we're able to get over the. You're not putting this on my system. You shut down my plant. I'm showing up at your house, right? Well, you know, we give the host customer a slam valve, so we we know how to obfuscate those anxieties. Mm. Um, you know, we put it in parallel. It's not something mm. that could ever. You know, you mash the slam valve. Two seconds later, it goes back to the way it was before you ever met us. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, Mahir made that point earlier. Is we're not trying to encumber their operating conditions at mm. all. We want them to operate exactly the way they did before, but be able to make some clean zero carbon power out of it. And, and, and so it sounds like in some ways, I mean, this, this is an education problem. You've only been at it for a year right? and it, it industrial projects usually take more than a year to sell. Right. Because because you have to educate a lot of these mm -hmm. stakeholders and and I'm sure they they're just trying to wrap their head around what their strategy is for decarbonization um, and uh Maybe they don't know what to think yet, mm. right? Yeah, candidly, I mean, I think, you know, once we get the business unit or the mm. engineers that are actually running it on board, right, uh, then it's, then you have to, you know, then it is getting to the sustainability crew mm. and the, you know, the folks that are pulling the the purse strings, even though we're coming to pay for it. Mm. And in, in your experience so far, <clears throat> is it easier, you know, convincing perhaps these smaller operators than these bigger ones, which, you know, have a lot of bureaucracy. And um, you, you often don't know if you're right, talking to the right person. And I know, you know, having worked in these big corporations that um, they don't make decisions very quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think 
our approach mm -hmm. until recently mm -hmm. has been just like throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Mm -hmm. um, we've, you know, J John and myself and, and some of our team have been focusing on some of the larger companies, but then we've also hired some originators from, from John's um, past workings to go after some of these smaller customers as well. Originators? Originators, so nice. meaning like folks that mm -hmm. um, can- BD, BD guys. BD mm -hmm. guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like originators reminds me of banking, but I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, originating a project versus yeah. originating mm -hmm. a loan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I know you can't see this, but we have a very brisk, you know, um, you know, pipeline, you know, of customers that are far down, you know, down the way. And mm -hmm. some of them are big, some of them are small. I think, um, you know, whether right, wrong or indifferent, you know, we've been kind of waiting to get our first deployment till mm -hmm. we go and reach out to some of the larger companies. Mm -hmm. The TC came from mm -hmm. a, a very close friend at the company and, you know, we're meeting with Kinder Morgan tomorrow and, you know, I, I can't put that guy off anymore, but I want to make sure that I have some, that we have something tangible to show them when we get there, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. where are you now in terms of, you know, your, your concept and your demonstration? We're yeah. at the finish line with yeah. uh, with UIUC. That's where we were last week. You know, we're mm. running a feasibility study. You know, um, I when 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 a host customer gives us the and what we we do ask for some very specific data, and that's another thing that you know, getting the data from the host customer, we ask for twenty four months of hourly inlet pressure, outlet pressure, temperature, flow, and a gas analysis. Armed with that. I'm able to give you a P90 estimate that these sites will work, you know, barring mm. an indigenous burial site mm. or the horned toad frog, <laughs> you know, we, yeah. we, we got, we have a site that works. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, we're in, in, but you still have to go and get a, a, a engineered feasibility study to make sure it just didn't come from our engineers, even though we have some very talented engineers on staff. Uh, the host customer needs to see a professional engineered stamp on it and then we move forward and that's where we are yeah so you said something uh maybe uh folks not from the energy industry wouldn't wouldn't know it is you said a p90 financial study so explain to, to those of us who don't know what that means <laughs> i use it in a in a liberal way sorry like i'm 90 more than 90 percent sure that this site will be fit mm. for purpose yeah. you know barring some you know maybe there's a space requirement that we mm. don't know about you know we've got to go look at it uh, and I wasn't kidding. If you if you're displacing the horned toad frog, you can't build it there. Yep. Um, you know, or you know, some sort of. Yeah, you got to underground some power lines, yeah. and mm. it kills economics. Some something like that. Okay, so really good confidence that that, that this this will work from a financial perspective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically, ninety percent probability yeah. com confidence yeah. that we're able to go forward. Mm. So have you, have you done some pilots with some of these customers? We don't, uh, Pressure Corp does not have a deployment, but the, mm. um, there are Toho Gas in Japan. So mm. our OEM provider that mm. sells us the, um, the turbo expander, uh, Toho Gas bought mm. those. And we helped them with, you know, their deployments and, and mm. their, so we were along for the ride. It just wasn't our model and we don't own them. Mm. But there are nine of them in Japan. Mm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there's one in, or a few in Italy too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so this uh, this one's going to be the big one to to unlock the the follow on customer. Right, yeah. that's our you know that yeah. we're we've been able to bolt together you know metal on the ground. Yeah, mm -hmm. good, good. And and when's that going to come online? In a year or, or sooner? It'd be like six yeah. seven months. That's pretty good. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. 
P90. <laughs> once, once the engineering study's done. Yep. I'm listening yeah. P90 on yeah. that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I recall, um, I guess when we were chatting a year ago, um, <clears throat> it was, uh, you're just starting out on that journey of kind of engaging with customers and throwing everything on the wall. And so it's, it's fantastic to hear kind of getting, you know, marching forward um, and, and getting uptaken. That first one's always the hardest. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're still alive. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's what matters. It's, it's not over till it's installed. That's, that's the other thing, right? Right. So, yeah, there's still more, plenty more work to do. At least uh, you're targeting an installation, theoretically, when it's not terribly cold. Uh, I did my first um, turbine installation <clears throat> when it was negative um, 36 <laughs> in, in, <laughs> in North Dakota. I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want to be doing. It was very Ooh, cold. That's brutal. So, yeah. Hmm. <clears throat> Um, and what's your, you know, funding journey been like so far and what's your strategy yeah. going forward? Yeah. Well, one of the big benefits of bringing John on board was also the fact that he put in the first capital mm -hmm. in, into the company. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that that brought us um, a long ways in terms of de-risking. And then earlier this year, we, we raised a pre-seed round mm -hmm. um, about 800K from a couple of angels um, mm -hmm. that have taken us through and and we're currently fundraising as well um to get this first project into the ground yeah and i mean you know eventually the 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 goal is to become bankable you know mm -hmm. the, if you look at the advanced bd pipeline all you'd take every credit you know they're all credit worthy companies and mm -hmm. so once we get a few under our belt and show that we are you know you know we believe that we'll be able to borrow from the usual suspect banking arrangement so hmm. careful about about selling equity is really where that yeah. that, that comment that, was. that makes sense because i think with the kind of solution you have if you get enough customers on board they'll be funding um, a lot of the solution right yeah it depends yeah. on the customer like so yeah. for example the regulated utilities yeah. where you know they make money by deploying capital mm -hmm. right. they want to own own the products yeah. right Mm -hmm. But a, a lot of customers, so, I mean, TCs are regulated utility, but, mm -hmm. you know, they're a bit capital constrained right now. So, mm -hmm. you know, they actually prefer someone else deploy capital mm -hmm. for projects like these. Yeah. And it depends on the kind of the culture of the company. Yeah. Like some, some companies are like, we're not going to do sustainability projects unless mm -hmm. they make us money. Well, that's what we're, that's mm -hmm. one of the things that we're really mm -hmm. offering them. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it's a huge cost savings to you. You're not deploying mm -hmm. your own capital and you're abating carbon at a very high rate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there are some, you know, speaking of the journey and what, what you intend to have as a, as a financing um, vehicle, you know, there's some elegant and kind of esoteric uh, structures that can work because of the IRA, mm -hmm. you know, like tax equity mm -hmm. partnerships and things like that unlock a, a box of dollars or a bucket of dollars um, that we would like to have our you know, investor be mm -hmm. able to get. Mm -hmm. And that comes with investment mm -hmm. tech, tech yeah. partnership. And it, it's, it's a really interesting part of our business is like, how do you finance the projects? Mm -hmm. yeah. Like most of the startup world, you think about, you know, different venture rounds and, mm -hmm. and financing the, the venture round, raising capital for that. So we, we're kind of, working in this nexus mm -hmm. like we we do need some seed capital right to get the business going but once we have enough of a pipeline john mentioned the tax equity mm -hmm. but there's also debt there's mm -hmm. there's different components of that capital structure that allow those products to move forward without us having to raise more mm -hmm. um capital on balance sheet mm -hmm. right so 
there's this kind of aversion in, in venture capital to like capital heavy businesses. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, if if you unlock project finance in the right way, you're not necessarily capital heavy from like a corporate equity standpoint. Right. Absolutely. And not all startups need to be venture backed. Yeah. Right. So it's also being able to identify because I was thinking, you know, you, and you've probably done your calculations on this, like, you know, what is the return of investment for you know, one of these uh, midstream companies, when they come on board, how long does it take for them to recuperate the investment mm -hmm. that they make? Well, you know, I can speak to what our commercial model is. You know, we're about a, you know, four-year payout. Mm -hmm. You know, we look for, you know, you know, you know, rates of return, you know, 15 to 20% and, uh, you know, usual suspect energy, you know, returns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it does depend, you know, on the customer side, how much capital that they outlay for a given project, their their returns. And that's why we have these different mm. commercial structures, right? Mm -hmm. So for a, a company that is not deploying any capital, it's an infinite rate of return because mm -hmm. they're they're getting power savings or, mm -hmm. you know, the, the clean energy or carbon credits. Um, and so it just kind of depends on mm. what their capital appetite is. Yeah. So... You know, uh, one of the elegant solutions, and it's not a financing solution, but that we have taken out to to one or two of our customers um, that have a that have a portfolio. You know, they have lots of megawatts to deploy, or you know, over a hundred sites. We said, look, we'll come pay you mm -hmm. uh, up front, so that you know you're always in an accretive position. Mm -hmm. We'll give you fifteen million dollars, and we'll go over five years and and. Um, deploy these units on your system. We'll we'll put you know rank them, put you know make make the best first, um, you know, and then we'll you know, we'll we'll pay you up front. And we mm. get a preferred payout. Mm -hmm. on that. Mm. Yeah, so it's kind of like securing mineral rights or resource rights, mm. right? Um, so we're we're experimenting with those types of structures to get some of these customers in in the door. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and then you said you closed your pre-seed round, 800K. Um, how has fundraising been in Houston for you? Was it easy to come by? <laughs> I guess where were your angels? Yeah. For your angels? Yeah. They were here from You're, here, both. Yeah. Yeah, 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 both of them were here. Yeah, it wasn't, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say easy. It was a very successful seed yeah. round. And mm -hmm. we kind of, you know, backed off of taking more than that. We probably could have mm -hmm. taken mm -hmm. a lot more. But it, again, it's that that tightrope of equity mm -hmm. versus what our mm -hmm. you know debt financing might look mm -hmm. like and and <clears throat> to your question you know are we looking at the smaller customers or the larger customers well our cap table will look a lot different if we get you know 80 megawatts as our you know second or third customer versus the onesies and twosies as we go along you know we'll just need to figure out how to finance mm -hmm. that tranche mm -hmm. uh while we're while we're growing up mm -hmm. uh yeah. And then, but if you got one big one, mm. uh, I think there'll be people, you know, that yeah. would like to finance mm. those. Um, I, uh, so it sounds like you didn't go to the angel groups. Uh, how did you find the, the angels themselves? Yeah. So, I mean, w one of our angels, um, his name is Jeff Bishop. Mm. He's, he's a founder of Key Capture Energy, which mm. is one of the biggest standalone energy storage developers. Mm. And so. He was really bullish on on what we're doing and had a lot of the um, foresight and knowledge about how development works and and thought what we're doing was pretty cool. So he he gave us that backing and then um, 
high, high net worth individuals, mm. you know, that mm, know yeah. that, you know, we've put metal on the ground before. And one very astute uh, friend of mine, Jesse, uh, Jesse Marion owns a cathodic protection company. So he's very familiar mm. with this type of customer that we're dealing with and mm. likes the, the offering uh, and was willing to get behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and cathodic protection is just anti-rust coatings for pipelines. Yeah, right. So yeah. he's selling to pipeline companies too. Yeah, he understands the customer. Yeah, mm -hmm. I uh, because I was there. We don't have to go into this topic if you don't want to. But I remember you guys got a terrible term sheet. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that and and what was terrible about it? Oh, um, and, and we talked about it because I was kind of. Sometimes when you're fundraising, it's like you, you get the deal you get, so you have to decide if you want to oh, take it. Right, but yeah. that one was like also it just had so many things that were challenging with it and we don't need to name firms but uh, <laughs> what, what was that experience like well the audio didn't match the video on the uh on what we'd talked about versus what got yeah. you know what got handed in but i'll yeah i mean there there were like a lot of restrictions on it and especially for you know an early stage startup they wanted to do like a complete diligence process you know make us spend like 50 hmm. plus k on legal resources which you know is is good in in some ways, right? Like you're growing up at mm. the start, you're legitimizing yourself in in a lot of ways, but um, it would slow down kind of the, the sales process. Um, and then you know there there were some other terms in there as well that I can't quite recall that I think were pretty restrictive as well. Yeah. So, yeah, high liquid, high equity, low dollar amount. I think <laughs> might have been the and, and I think it was a lot of control. If I oh, remember, huge. Like they wanted away. two board seats, and yeah. you know, the, you know. Yeah. So, so how did you guys? Was it a hard decision to walk away, or like, what was the discussion like as a team between the two of you? Maybe. Yeah. Well, luckily at the time we had you know offers from some of these angels, and and th this was another reason why we chose to go for that smaller tranche of capital mm. than than the larger one. We realized that if we can do a little bit more de-risking, we can bring in an institutional check later that is more conducive with our ability to grow and scale faster mm -hmm. um and so that's that's kind of the decision process that we we made uh for my part i was just irritated that we wasted so much time you know <laughs> the most precious asset for right. any entrepreneur yeah. yes you know yeah. so. do you think that term sheet was kind of reflective of maybe a houston investor mindset or is it was that a special case well, th there is that Houston investor mindset that they don't want to work with safes or mm. secure. Was it? I forget. Yeah, safe. Simple note. agreement yeah. for equity. Yeah. Um, that most Houston investors either want to do priced rounds or or convertible notes. Priced rounds just means you have to do a lot more diligence and put a lot more uh, a bigger business case into justifying what your valuation is. Um, I do think they're is a difference between some Houston investors and investors elsewhere in that a lot of them are coming from oil and gas and mm -hmm. kind of looking at what we're doing in, in the climate clean clean energy space um, as akin to that. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of differences um, in, in what we're doing, right? Like the returns on a per project level are not going to be 30, 40% necessarily, right? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, the, the the structures are a little bit different as well. And, and I guess that's a question of like, do, do the Houston investors need to uh, evolve or is are, are they having enough deal flow in traditional energy so they don't need to look outside or, or, or adapt? That's kind of the question. Yeah, that's that kicking and screaming 
arguing yeah. again, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, and I think Houston investors are very astute. And I, yeah. you know, here's trying to make the point that, you know, they're used to very high rates of, you know, oil and gas rates of return, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, projects like this, you know, don't have that. But, you know, to my point earlier is you got to tell them you, you can't put your head in the sand. You have to do something and mm -hmm. you should do something. You can put a solar array in Guyana and be green, but it's not really doing better with what you have, yep. right? Yep. This this is fixing, you know, what you got. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I would say, like, to your question, Jason, it, it's less about the change needed on the Houston investors and more about the change needed on, like, the corporates who are actually mm -hmm. buying or, or being the off-taker on these projects. A lot of them, you know, candidly are, are greenwashing. Mm-hmm. Right, they'll have these targets, but there's mm -hmm. no teeth to them. Internally, you know, they they're not using a, a carbon costs or carbon pricing to use for their decision making, and therefore there's there's no real um, like strong incentive to to move forward with these things, even if they're economic, even if we're providing value, because you know we're being judged against an oil and gas project. Mm -hmm. That, that reminds me, I think we were at a round table once and you had this great um, quote around um, one of these majors bought uh, a climate tech project or something and it moved their stock price. Do you remember which one I'm talking about? Yeah, I yeah. want to repeat that. Um, so it was, it was actually um, Sean and, and Criterion oh, okay. Energy. Um, so when they got an investment from this driller, mm -hmm. um, which is a public company, I forget the name of it, but they made that investment and a couple of days later they announced it and it was like a bump to their stock price. Yeah, and and I guess um, they're so large from a capitalization standpoint, it dwarfs anything yeah. around the capital invested. Yeah. right? I think it was like a million dollars, and then their their um, market cap went up like eighty million. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's one ROI. Yeah, <laughs> think about. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I guess where I'm pointing with this is like the unfortunately the incentives for greenwashing are very high because it shows up in in kind of the stock price um and, and obviously there are a lot of things that could have influenced that bump on that day but i could see how uh that correlation shows up in the minds of the people who have to manage the stock price and we hope <laughs> that trend continues and, you know and i find the the houston you know investors you know the the oil and gas community to be pretty astute yeah you know, yeah investors yeah. and you know you see them around greentown all the time we're at greentown labs mm -hmm. and the 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 resource there, by the way, is fantastic mm. for us. The, we, the exposure that we get to mm. some of the you know biggest and best companies in the world is is awesome. Mm. Uh, so we're very big fans there. And but you're you know again you're talking to a faction of the company that doesn't run the pipeline company. Mm. You know, so it you know that's mm. where you kind of figure out where to where do you start? Do you start at the business unit or do you start at the sustainability side? But um, you know we hope that that you know sadly the 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 some of the projects haven't been a lot of follow through in the oil and gas mm. space over the last couple of years, right? There was a big, you know, exuberance to get into it and people were getting bought up left and right. All these sustainability, you know, companies within the company or, you know, groups within the company were getting fired up. And I don't see that kind of follow through happening as, as, as good as I'd hoped. Yeah. yeah. Well, j just as a reflection on industry, I was talking to my um, ex shell colleagues, and you were sharing with me that, that when they get projects that, that come up before FID, it's like a 5% yield rate. Like things get mm. killed along the way, mm. even good projects. Because at the end of the day, there's limited time, there's limited yeah. capital. Mm. Are we are we just perceiving that like 95% of us are getting killed along the way because only 5% make it? Or is this um, 
Is there another source of that hesitation? I, that's kind of an open-ended question. It's fun to talk about being <laughs> being green. It's uh, you know, it's yeah. another thing deploying. Like you know, mm-hmm. I said earlier, this is you know, any any green project is is um, elective surgery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. You know, you might you might love to have it, but do you need it? Yeah. You know? And so okay. you know, right now with interest rates higher, you know, there's been some setbacks and you know, um, you know, generally when oil prices are high, people are ginning to make oil right oh yeah especially now <laughs> yeah, yeah right so uh, you know i i think that w- you know they haven't taken their hands off the steering wheel completely but you know i wish they'd get back to a, a more you know mindset where th- this becomes more important okay hmm. yeah and you know we're we're seeing some unfortunate news that some of these companies are starting to lay off some of their like low carbon solutions teams mm-hmm. i think shell was one um T- yeah, tc had had some ground. layoffs too yep. yeah mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, we usually ask our guests, you know, if they have a um, climate impact story that they want to sh- share with us, like why, why are they motivated to, to work on these solutions? So I was curious about you, Mahir and, and John, you know what, you know, why are you doing this? Oh, you've heard mine. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I was a power trader back mm-hmm. in the 90s and um, the company I worked for was Reliant. Mm-hmm. And we bought some power plants in Southern California. Mm-hmm. And I recall that the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, LA Times, Houston Chronicle basically said, bumpkins buy power plants. That's a great headline. <laughs> not, not really, but you know, they, we overpaid all this stuff. Well, we ran them well, you know, mm. five or six smart guys and gals got together and we ran them very well. And I think you know what happened after that, but about a year into it, they realized, or someone realized that there was these RTCs, reclaimed trading credits, and it says trading on there. Can one of you dumb, dumb traders look at this thing? And since I'd read gas tariffs, I looked at the thing and I said, I got some good news and I got some bad news. The good news is you can t- continue to make power, but the bad news is you owe them like $7 million, <laughs> you know, that you got to pay. And it was the, it was the, South Coast Air Quality Management's Reclaim Program, which was mm-hmm. the Knox and Sox program mm-hmm. for, for Southern California. Um, and since I'd read the rules, I had the, the uh, honor to trade those. And uh, it never left me. So from 97 mm-hmm. all the way through, and I, I left there and started my own trading company. And we traded physical oil and gas, you know, just the usual suspect stuff. Uh, but we did one very esoteric thing. We kept on trading emissions mm. uh, through that time. So in the mid 2000s, you know, we were green when green wasn't cool. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so I've had an emission trade on my personal ticket or my company ticket since 1997. Mm. And mm. my wife and I kept an apartment in L.A. during that time and watched the air get cleaner. Mm. Mm. Wow. Mm. Wow. So. That's fascinating. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank you. Mm. What, what about you, Mahir? Yeah, how I got into climate. So I, I'm in kind of in the clean energy space my my whole career. Um, started in the lab working on on different things um, related to solar cells and energy mm-hmm. storage. But really, what um, galvanized myself and in, into the industry was just understanding like the impact it, it could make on power costs. Mm-hmm. Right, like if if you're leveraging these wasted energy sources or free energy from wind and and solar. Uh, we should be able to engineer the the capital cost down far enough to make it much much cheaper than oil and gas, right? Mm-hmm. And if you've looked at the massive amount of economic development that oil and gas has spurred across the world, mm-hmm. 
what's that going to unlock for um you know the the rest of the population in the world when we can get power even below that right like yeah. energy is the sustenance mm-hmm. of our society how much how many people can we bring out of poverty yeah with that so yeah. hmm. thank uh, you yeah thank hmm. you when when you think about like our houston innovation ecosystem what, what are you most proud of so you know Jason, you're you're the one who got me to move here um, <laughs> from Mexico City. Yeah. I wasn't that far. <laughs> Not Mexico City. I was on the beach. Okay, so. well, okay, so, okay that, that's a hard. Uh, that's a hard job. Yeah. Were you surfing? Is the question? Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes. Um, but you know, really, it's 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 the talent. Mm. Like, just the amount of folks, like people like John, mm. who have this experience in oil and gas mm. and can take their skill set and help us deploy these these clean energy and climate solutions um it's unparalleled Mm -hmm. right and like another thing with the houston investors like they really understand development project Mm -hmm. development Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. not something that you know silicon valley really understands right the Mm -hmm. whole bubble of clean tech 1.0 vc investing was the fact that you couldn't get these technologies deployed because of the regular regulatory Mm -hmm. issues and policy issues and then permitting and stuff like that well, all these folks have been developing oil and gas projects for for decades, yeah. right? Mm. And so, bringing that expertise into the clean energy industry or climate to to deploy these solutions, I think is is unparalleled. Yeah. Hmm. And then, how did you guys meet? So, I was actually trying to sell John when he was at his other perch at this pipeline company called Southcross on buying one one of our solutions, trying to be our first customer, mm. and so. <laughs> he he got on the phone. He was he was happy to to meet with me. He was gracious enough to take his time, and I spent an hour pitching him. And at the end of the call, he said, "So this is a fantastic idea. I, I love what you're doing here, but unfortunately, we just sold to Targa Energy, so mm-hmm. I don't really have authority to buy your solution." And well, then he- to my defense, I was in my transition <laughs> period, finding the end of the internet when he called up. And- wow! <laughs> but it was, you know, I really liked the the offering. So, the right time and right place and the right people. Yeah, right. yeah, and and you know, we needed someone with John's like yeah. <clears throat> charisma, leadership qualities, and experience to to help. So who the made ship. the first move though? Like, was it- <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, because right? like, did you say, hey, are you looking for? A co-founder here uh, how did it sure how, how did it happen it yeah well it was basically like what once john expressed interest we yeah. we got lunch one day mm. at this sushi restaurant that was it uchi no it was that is that oh, okay. poke sushi <laughs> that place burrito place like yeah. right next to um right on matros no no like right right off a of main near okay. that taco spot oh yeah yeah, yeah. okay they, they it closed were, down yeah, yeah, yeah we were so disappointed when it closed down that, we was, like, yeah. that was like two years ago yeah that it closed down or something yeah yeah so you know we we just had a heart to heart john had you know obviously mm-hmm. mentioned that he's kind of looking for his next thing and we needed someone like john so just the marriage kind of wow. fit yeah mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. good um are there any hidden gems that people need to to know about other than pokey places that went out of business in Houston? <laughs> in Houston, in Houston. yeah, yeah. Ooh. Um, there's <clears throat> there's a so one of John's daughters is a sommelier, and so she mm-hmm. turned me on to this wine bar um, called Light Years, mm-hmm. and they only sell natural wines, mm-hmm. and um, they have like all these books like 
on how natural wines are are created and and whatnot and so it's like an educational experience going there hmm. um just learning about all of it nice yeah. What do you, what do you she got? didn't talk to me about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any gems. <laughs> uh, no, no it doesn't have to be food related. I don't know if there's anything else. You, you, you've been here long enough. You must know some, some uh, secret hidden. Uh, or your favorite place in Houston. Yeah. What about the Indian spot in the tunnels? Oh, right. Ooh, tell yeah. us about this. There's an Indian spot in the tunnels that uh, if you don't get there by 11, 15, you're in line behind a bunch of Indians, which is a great thing. You know, <laughs> so you, know you, you know, it's great. Right. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, I think uh, for us, my wife and I have been going to Carabas on Wednesday night mm. for Osabuco night for 25 years. Mm. And uh, I think that's the best meal in town per capita. Wow. <laughs> a good time. And it, yeah, it's a lot of oil and gas people there on Wednesday yeah. nights. And it's the, only, it's the one on Kirby. Yeah. Only the one on Kirby. Nice. Okay. I, I have, a, I guess, an insider question. How do you navigate the tunnels? Because I get lost every time I go down there. And I don't know if I'm walking in a circle sometimes. <laughs> I never get lost down there. Okay. okay. So <laughs> no, is, is that experience? No. No, I always get lost. We always get lost. I think it's the lack of sun where I can't orient which way is north anymore. Mm. I don't know. Anyhow. All right. So I, I shouldn't feel bad about getting lost is what I'm hearing. Good. I've only been down there a couple of times. So, yeah. Okay. I'm just following. But if you want to go to the Indian place, it's uh, it's a thousand main. Go down on the tunnels, okay. thousand main. Mm, all right, you'll get there. It's we'll fantastic. Gonna try that out. Got mm. Mayo, my, Maori, I think. Nice. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. That. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess um, as as we're wrapping up, is, is there one thing the audience here can help you with your goals for the next year? If anybody you know has a site that they think that this will work, you know we're we're certainly looking for deployments. Um, yeah, you know. and and one interesting thing that we didn't really touch on is like our our first deployment with the University of Illinois is actually not just a demonstration of of this um, system, but also a broader long duration storage system. Mm. And so, um, if you if you're familiar with compressed air energy storage, you're essentially mm -hmm. compressing air into a salt cavern and then decompressing it when electricity prices are high. Well, there's gonna be a lot of pipelines that are stranded assets mm -hmm. as we move forward in the energy transition. And our solution takes those existing assets and the existing infrastructure using you know software that we're developing to compress um, whether it's air or, or another fluid into an existing pipe and then decompressing it with our system mm. to create that long duration storage. Mm. And so, um, you know, we, we're pretty bullish on, on what that can unlock market wise and are, you know, looking, looking forward as, as John said, to other folks that are interested in, in having these systems deployed. Interesting. Very interesting. Mm. And, uh, where can they find you guys on the internet? We're pressurecorp.com. So, with a p pressure corp there you go yeah all right pretty easy um well thank you for being here oh, thanks for having us mm, thank time. you thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed today's show if you like the show share it with a friend or give us a review on your podcast platform lastly if you have an entrepreneur in houston that you'd like to hear more about let us know and we'll try to bring them in see you next week on energy tech startups